0: This is Mike Gillen with Air Assurance, and you're listening to Change Your Filter with Tall Paul.
1: Listeners, welcome. You're in for a treat today. I'm super excited to introduce our guest to you. Um, I had to ask him how he pronounced his name, which I felt a little, I guess, embarrassed about, but then that led to another conversation. That led back to the reason that I invited our guest on today. So our guest is from Air Assurance, and it's Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Is that right, Mike? Yep, that's right. So Mike Gillen or Mike Guillen, based on how he's meeting you and what uh, stage of his life that he's been in, we'll get into that. But let me tell you a story about our guest, and let me tell you what motivated me to bring him on today. So I was at an industry event a few weeks ago. And I was sitting in the back of the room getting ready to go out to another meeting and they were announcing the award-winning customers and the award-winning individual performers. And they're kind of going through the names. And as they got to the highest performing retail salesperson, so comfort advisor, whatever you might call it, which we can explore on this podcast together, um, they called Mike's name and Mike strolled up to the stage with pink pants on. Maybe they were red. Were they pink or red, Mike?
0: No, they were like kind of hot pink. Yeah. They were kind of insane. hot pink. <laughs> yeah.
1: And a smile as wide as the state of Texas. And I thought, this guy's got a story to tell. So I, I pinned <laughs> him down the next day. He had a, I saw him the next day and he had a cycling shirt on, which is like if, if you know me or you've listened to any podcasts with me before, I struggle not only talking about cycling the whole time, but it, it gave me the ability to break the ice and, and reach out to Mike and ask him some questions. Um, But I immediately learned that there's more to Mike's story than just someone who can go into a home and convince someone to buy a super expensive air conditioner or heat pump or or furnace. So I was motivated to bring him on and, and just getting to know him over the last week or so, I found out that there are some things in Mike's story and some things in Mike's life that are relatable and transferable to all of the listeners today. The process he has went through to become who he is and and go from where he was to where he is now is pretty remarkable. So I'll let Mike kind of tell you that story. I'll I'll be quiet now. But Mike, welcome to the Change Your Filter podcast.
0: Hey, thanks so much, Paul. I'm uh, I'm really excited. Uh, I've never done anything like this, but it's uh, it's an honor, you know, to be able to share my story because I think we all have one. Right, we all have a story and stepping stones that got to where we were. And I think for many of us, or at least for myself. I was really embarrassed about who I was and how I got here, you know? And so I kind of pretended to be like, Hey, look, I'm so awesome. And I'm so great. And, uh, it's, it's very peaceful to finally look at myself and go like, man, those hard times, those decisions, whether they are right or wrong, you know, they really helped mold and shape me to who I am today, you know? And I, I get to share that experience with other people. And I think that helps me really relate to people because every customer, has gone through the same thing, right? Or maybe they're going through it in the moment, you know? And it's like, well, how can I walk alongside of them in that moment? And like, let's kind of help each other, regardless if it's heating and air, right? Maybe maybe today they just need someone to talk to and, and I can be that person, so.
1: Perfect. Well, you said something that's super important. And for our listeners who are new to listening to Change Your Filter, you know, you've not heard of Mike before, and he mentioned this is maybe his first time doing something like this. That's the goal of the show, is to introduce you to the people who you should know, but don't know. And I know that if you're listening to Mike's story today and you take away some of the principles or practices or disciplines that he's applied to his life to, to put him where he is, not just in a state for his business, but also in his personal life, um, this will be a gift that you receive from Mike. So, Mike, without um, me uh, just chatting myself, there's so much I want to talk about. I, I want to open it up to you. you. know, Tell me your story tell me as far back as you can remember, where did, where, where do your memories start? How'd you get into HVAC? Tell me Mike's story.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, you know, just a kid born in Houston, you know, my, my parents got married when I was young and um, my father's an Episcopal priest. So we moved to Mexico when I was four. Um, there was a big earthquake there in the eighties. He went there to go help rebuild homes. right? Right. And so, you know, that for my, most of my life has been like my favorite memories, right? It's like, here I am. Everybody loves Father Anthony. You know, my dad, you know, he's like the hero of the community and seminary. And so I kind of felt like royalty, even though we were just as poor as everybody else, you know, but it didn't seem that way. Right. Like everybody knew who we were and those years of my life were just fun. I didn't have anything, but I didn't know I didn't have anything, you know, like right. there was no washings or dryers, you know, like we washed everything by hand. But they were they were my fun memories because as a child, like I just felt very free, right? I I learned to ride a bike early. I have this picture that um, that my parents gave me. I was probably like five years old, and I'm riding this giant ten-speed, you know. And I'm like, you hey guys, like, watch, I can ride this, and they're like, no, Michael, no. And I'm like, you know, here we are on this little dirt road, and like I get on, you know, can't reach the seat, of course, but I'm just sitting on the frame, you know, cruising down the road. And it's like, you know, it was just for me, it was it was really adventurous, you know, and it was really a lot of fun, and so. Uh, Unfortunately, my parents split when I was seven and that's when we moved back to Oklahoma, uh, which was a very shifting point in my life because I went from like, oh man, I'm family, we're this, to I don't fit in, right? Now I'm a Hispanic kid. Well, um, you know, we moved to Oklahoma City where we were at. It was mainly, you know, uh, a white community and not yeah. that I've ever felt judged. You know, I mean, I, I don't ever feel that way, but I just didn't fit in. Right. I didn't have the money. We didn't have the guest jeans and the gerbos and the hyper color shirts and whatever, whatever everybody had back then in the 80s. You know, you it just was told just me just, exactly uh,
1: how old you are without telling me yeah, exactly how old you are. <laughs> exactly. So you've got the to be forty. Part of life, if, right? Yep.
0: Yeah. Right at 41. You know, I lived out of, you know, food pantries and goodwill and hand-me-downs and you know and, and because of that like i myself i saw my own self-worth as less than and yeah. so you know I, I struggled in school you know i had to go to speech therapy and I had to take ritalin and add and so back then there was no time release and, you know i was always getting pulled out of class to take medicine and so everyone's always like well where are you going well, why are you doing that well you know so i just was very noticed and I mean, I do have a big smile and I am a happy person, but unfortunately I felt like I was being noticed for all the wrong things, you know, drawing attention to myself for not fitting in like the norm. So, you know, my, my parents both get remarried. We moved to Tulsa. Uh, My stepdad, his name's Mike. Also, uh, he owns a company called process equipment and they do industrial cooling. So cooling towers, plate fame, heat exchangers, pumps, chillers, all that stuff. You know, so I kind of grew up around mechanical things um, and did end up working for him. But, you know, it's kind of as I started figuring out life, you know, I waited tables. I loved it um, because it was people. It was interaction, you know, and I didn't realize I was selling like I was just trying to make some tips. But really quickly, you know, I got to the point where at 19 years old, the, the whole restaurant would have plenty of seats. Yet people would wait an hour for me. Right. Because. I made sure that when I'd come up, I'm like, "Hey, like, you know, my name's Mike. Here's your drinks, you know." And I'd come back, and I'm like, "So, what was my name?" And they're like, "Uh, I don't know." I'm like, "Well, if you don't know my name, I'm not going to give you drinks. Like, you know, this is supposed to be, you know, a friendship." And they're like, "Oh, right. okay." Well, tell me again. I'm like, "It's Mike." And They're like, "Okay." I'm like, "Don't forget, because when it comes time for food, I will not change my mind to bring it to you, you know." So, like, this kind of made it fun. Yeah. But then they always knew me, right? And so I always kind of had, you know. And so it wasn't until years later that I realized, like, wow, like there literally is a difference of like before you meet somebody and after you meet them right like i could have just been another waiter that gave them food that they never saw again and didn't matter or i had the opportunity to genuinely connect with them right and actually establish a relationship and because that i made tons of friends which means i made tons of customers so like i made really good money as a waiter without realizing that i was doing that you know i was just trying to engage you know so I ended up getting a sales position at a electronics store because who doesn't like TVs and stereos. And so, uh, I went from I was making $640 a week at a machine shop. Uh, my wife's, um, friend. Yeah. making tons of money eating ramen noodles, you know, six days a week, Mm -hmm. but on Tuesdays, on Tuesdays I got to have a dollar bean burrito because it was on sale and that was like our splurge. But, um, you know, it was, it was really frugal times. And I went from that making 645 every two weeks to making hundred thousand dollars at 20 years old, working at Ultimate Electronics. And it was life-changing, right? Right. I had no idea that people could make that kind of money. Um, And I just kind of happened to fall into it when I was working at the machine shop. The owners, every day at 1130, they played Zig Ziglar on the radio. And I heard over and over and over, like, you can have everything you want out of life if you can just help enough other people get what they want, you know? And they were constantly like, Mike, you need to go into sales. You need to do these things. And I'm like, but I love it here. Like, I love working with my hands. I love working in the machine shop. If I could just make thirty-five grand a year, like I would be rich. Like that's that was my my max. You know, my parents yes. made forty, so I figured if I made thirty-five, that was huge. You know, yep. and You're they just kept there. pushing me. Like I'm almost there. I'm so close. And they're like, nope. You can if you you can make a hundred grand doing sales. I'm like, no way. Like people don't do that. You know, I'm I'm a high school dropout. Right. I didn't I didn't go to college. I dropped out of school in tenth grade because I just I struggled with sitting in the box right everybody yeah. wanted me to be this person and you know i just i don't learn that way by just sitting and listening i'm very hands on and i i've come to realize that i am really smart and i am bright but i'm just not learning how they want to teach me you know right so that really again kind of played into the whole thing of like i wasn't enough and i wasn't worthy and you know uh kind of the stuff that came for me as childhood can i ask a clarifying um, question yeah
1: so when you are 20 and you're making $100,000. And it sounds like you're married at this time. Is that right? Yep, yep, yep. Married. And so you made that transformational leap from $640 a week to making significantly more money. At that point, were you able to shed the feelings associated with being, a, and I'm using air quotes, a high school dropout? Or was that nope. something you still carried with you?
0: Forever. I carried yeah. with it another 25 years uh, yeah. or another, let's see, that was 20, another 15 years. Yeah. And um, it, did it
1: get lighter? In your twenties, or was it heavy? And what did it feel like? How did that feeling manifest itself into how you looked at yourself, how you worked? Like, what did that, what did that feel like?
0: Well, in the moment, I was so distracted by the money that I was just excited, right? So I'm like, I'm like, oh, my money, we're buying things, you know, we're getting a house, you know, all the the dreams that everybody wants.
1: Covers it up, and once
0: totally does. And then it's like, okay, it slows down. The high's gone oh man, I still feel just as bad about it myself, you know, and that, and that was a roller coaster that I rode for a long time because, and, and this kind of follow back in real quick. So when I dropped out of school, it's because I was doing a lot of drugs and I was doing a lot of drugs because I was hurting and I, and I didn't know how to deal with the insecurities and pains I was dealing with, you know, so drinking and drugs and all these things. And so when I met my wife, I stopped using all that. I started going to church and kind of found God and was like, oh man, like, okay. Like, I got to figure it out. Now things are going to be good. And so really what happened is I took the hurt and insecurities and the way of covering it up by numbing out with drugs and alcohol. Instead, I used it as the high of selling things and the high of making money and the high of buying things, right? Like, I never really healed it. I just shifted it to a new type of use, right? Right. And that became work or attaboys and everything else, you know, that I could possibly get. So you know yeah yeah we're, so we're making the money things are things are going um, and it just kind of became this vicious cycle of not enough you know I can't make enough money to ever be happy enough you know and that and that's really what I'd hoped I'd thought my whole life if, if I get married and have a house and I'm making money and I have children like I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be the formula. enough you know yeah. yeah that's it and that's what they tell us every day yeah. that's what's sold to us on TV that if we can just get to x point life's going to be great yeah. And the problem is we chase it and we chase it and we're never any happier every time we get it. Yeah. And so for me, it was just trying to figure out like, how, how do we find peace in today? Right. How can you be happy right now in this moment, regardless of what you're going to get? Cause what if you die tomorrow and you never got to graduate school or make the sale or find the woman of your dreams, you know, like if we're waiting on situations to be happy, then actually we've totally missed out on life to begin with, you know, yeah. cause it's our daily steps, you know?
1: And it seems so common sense because so many people who, and I'll use again, air quotes again, who went before us and experienced like tons of material and financial success have said the same thing, but it's still so hard to disconnect from the, like that's in your bones. Like yes. you just naturally think that things are going to be better when X occurs or at this, whatever. Um, so you're in your twenties, you're making the money you know you're on the other side of it sounds like recovery to some degree but tell me about yep. that that period in your 20s and then how did you get into hvac what did that look like
0: yeah so you know i was working at ultimate for about 4 years you know doing really well things were going well and you know my parents you know had hoped that someday i would come take over the business but it just just wasn't what i wanted to do you know um but, uh, you know, I was working long hours, you know, you're missing Christmases day after Thanksgivings for black Fridays, you know, I mean, this when is you're retail. retail sales. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like yeah, that's just life, you know, it's normal, but we want to start a family. And it was like, that just wasn't the best environment for that. So I went to work for my parents uh, and took a pay cut in half, went to 45,000 uh, from a hundred thousand, but you know, Hey, I got off at of five and my insurance was covered. You know,
1: but let's talk so, about that though, for a second, like. Is that something that seemed in theory that you would figure out and it would be fine? Or was that like a true, was it a gut punch when the rubber hit the road?
0: Uh, we, I really thought, okay, look, like we don't really need much. You know, we're, we're smart with our money. We budget well, you know. And so, yeah, I thought that we were going to swap over, everything's going to be great. And, and we really managed it pretty well for a couple of years um, where, I mean, we were scraping. I mean, we went back to like, how can we save money? What can we do? You know, how can we be frugal? And then I was like, okay, we're not making enough money. Like I need to sell cars. So I'm like, I'm buying and selling cars. I'm anything I could do yep. on the side to make extra money. You know, I did, you know, um, to kind of keep us, you know, living kind of how we did. Then I made a bad car decision. I bought a car that the guy kind of lied to me on some stuff and it hosed me. I bought it for 20 grand, thought I would flip it within two months. And that turned into 60,000, of credit card debt, um, I need and more information on this. It was awful. This. <laughs> it was this, awful. Is,
1: this is one of those points where like that's enough information, but I, I need to know, make, model, I need to know everything about this deal. So go yeah. go ahead and share. Yeah.
0: So so it was a 94 twin turbo Supra um, okay. and it was red, you know, six speed. And this guy had bought it for his son because he's like, I want my son to be able to have the most cherry car when he turns 20 and I'm going to give it to him. So okay. this is, let's see, it was a 94. This is in 2005. So it's like, it's 12 years old. It has 4,000 original miles. The car has never been titled. It still has the dealer title from the Texas Toyota dealership. So it's a no owner car.
1: I'm all in so far. Miles. Like, yep. I was
0: like, this is amazing. I'm like, no brainer.
1: I'm co-signing on this with you. Yeah, Keep going. easy,
0: easy. So, you know, I was like, hey, so his story was Look, the car is set for 11 years in storage. I went to go drive it and dropped a valve. He's like, motor's toast. And I was like, okay, so back in the day, our forums were all the rage, right? I wasn't oh, all yeah. of them. So I started asking around, hey, guys, like, hypothetically, if this kind of car exists, what is it worth? And they're like, 60 grand, 70 grand all day long, no problem. So I'm like, how much you want? He's like, 19 grand cash. I was like, I'll take it. Because I figured 20? I can put 10 in it, sure. you know? And yep. so I get a uh, six-month free interest, right, on your credit card. Yep. Against my wife's idea, she's like, don't do this, not a good idea. But I was like, we've made so much money in all these.
1: Lesson Trust me, one. It's
0: going to be great. Yeah. Lesson yeah. one. Trust she was right. So by the car, we buy all the parts from Toyota, start tearing it apart. And my buddy's like, Hey man, look under here. This looks kind of weird. And I was like, what's <laughs> that? And he goes, this fender's red underneath. This one's black. And I'm like, Oh boy, that doesn't seem normal. So as we really get into it, the whole front end has been replaced. Right. So I call the guy back. I'm like, Hey, like, here's what we're finding. Like, what do you know? He's like, nothing, man. He's like, it's legit. You know, I don't know anything about it. So I called the Toyota dealership and they're like, oh yeah, they're like, that car was totaled on the test drive. And I'm like, what? He's like, that's why it doesn't show wow. up on Carfax because insurance didn't cover it because nobody owned it. We just had it. We sold it to a salvage yard. So I called the salvage yard. Salvage yard pulls up the records. The guy I bought it from is who bought it. So the guy totally lied to me. So he bought yeah. it wrecked for the last 11 years. He's been rebuilding it. And then he blew the motor and then now he uploads it on me. So just because I didn't want to screw anybody else, when I made the post, I was very clear with what it was, and nobody wanted it because they're like, "How bad's it been damaged?" Like nobody was going to take a risk like that. So I sat on it for a year and a half, and of course, credit card debt gets out of control. I finally sell it for twenty grand, what I paid for it, even though wow. I had you know thirty five in it, and so but. But at the end of the day, I knew I didn't screw somebody right, and that was more important to me than yeah. like paying off my debt. You know, I mean, like that was my mistake. I made it so. Um, it was yeah, a setback. Big time. So now we're, we're in the hole and we're freaking out and, and like you have children at this, this point. Is. Yep. Yep. We had two kids
1: yep. and Things so get it serious. Was, it
0: was really stressful. Yeah.
1: The room for error when you don't have children, I tell my kids this all the time, they're younger, but the room for error when you don't have children is much greater. You can it really is. screw some things up when you have little yeah. eyeballs looking at you, like yep. it, it, not, not that the risk or the damage is greater. It's that the, um, the stress, and the insecurity when you have someone who's expecting you not to do dumb things. Right. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Things get serious when you have kids. So anyhow, keep going. What, what was next and how did you get through it?
0: Well, so kind of what all leads to it all. is So at this point I'm working for my parents, you know, and so I'm doing, so this, this loops in in two ways. So that's happening. We're broke. I'm stressed out and I'm working for a design engineering firm that is selling cooling towers. I'm 20, one years old. I didn't go to high school. I didn't go to college and everyone that I'm selling to and dealing with are engineers. Oh yeah. Well, how do they trust just a sales guy? Right. You know? And so, so that's honestly, for me, it was a big struggle. And I actually, for that period of time, I was so ashamed that I just straight up lied. People would ask me, Hey man, where'd you go to school? Cause at first I would say, Oh, I did. not And then they're like, Oh, well, how do you even know what you're talking about? Like, I had no value to them if I wasn't also another engineer. And so I would say, Oh yeah, I went to OU for engineering, you know, because that's where my brother went. And, and I lied because I was so embarrassed of who I was in that moment. And I didn't feel like I had value to be able to do my job, even though I knew it better than they did because I took the time and I learned it, but because I didn't have that diploma, you know, in today's society, at least in that period, if you didn't have the stamp on the wall, it was, you were meaningless, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was even in ASHRAE. I mean, I sat on the board for, I don't know if you're familiar with ASHRAE. I am, yeah. Um, and so I, I sat on the board for them in multiple different ways, and you know, rubbed elbows with all the guys, and young professionals. <laughs> and like, you know, my dad has been in it forever with research and stuff. And so, but I just kind of faked it till I could make it, you know?
1: Were and you worried tough. about that? Like, what did it feel like? All the time. All the time Man. that someone would say like, which professor did you have or whatever? Like this was right? a real, lie yep. that you were a that you were
0: i was in you, you know in. and so here i am we're, we're at the ashray convention and it's like my biggest fear is someone going hey beta like that's so cool your son went to OU." But that's my dad you know what they call him yeah. beta you know and it's like if they say that what do i do you know like how am i and so it's like constantly just trying to deflect and there was just, I was just living a lot of anxiety, you know, um, with everything that was going on time. And so, uh, even though I did well there and it was successful and I helped them kind of change some practices, it also just wasn't fitting me. I, you know, I would work on a project. I did superior industries. They make wheels uh, for Chevy. And so, you know, they bought a tower 30 years ago for my dad. They hated the way it was designed. I came through and I'm like, okay, if we change it this way, it'll make it better. And the on site maintenance guy's like, man, if you can do this. We're gonna love it. So I do the design. I send it. The company was owned in Chihuahua, Mexico. They bought the cheapest thing, just like what was there. We put it in. The guy's like, "I've told you guys for 20 years, this is a piece of junk, and you put the same thing back in." And I'm like, "Like, I can't help it. Like, I gave them both choices. They picked the cheapest one. Like, oh you know, goodness. so the parallels. It's like to we made
1: the industry are unbelievable. It is, but we won't go there is. yet. We'll come back to that."
0: So, you know, I made money and I did my job, but there was no satisfaction. Nobody yeah. loved what we were doing, you know? And so, so when I had worked at Ultimate Electronics, Mike Rainey, the owner of Air Assurance, uh, him and David, his son had come in and uh, had wanted to buy a plasma TV. And oh, I sold him-
1: 4,500 back in the day, right? Easily? Well,
0: 15 grand.
1: He oh, bought the first Pioneer
0: leap 50 inch TV, right? Because he had a tiny room. Yep. and he wanted a big tv and he couldn't do it with reprojection which is all we had back then right so he buys the fifteen thousand dollar tv and you know that's kind of what he budgeted for it's unbelievable and as we're going through it all i was like hey like you know what are you gonna hook up to it you know well i got a you know tv and dvd player and all stuff and so i was like well are you gonna use just uh, regular cables or are you gonna use the monster cables right because you got to have the best picture And oh, so yeah. as we go through it all he's like I'm going to spend $10,000 on cables. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I mean, you don't need to like, you can just use what comes in the box, you know? And he's like, Oh, okay. He's like, well, how does that affect it? And I was like, well, I mean, it's kind of like if you bought a Ferrari, cause like you really want to have a good performance. And like, if I threw some used tires on there, like how good is that Ferrari going to perform? And he's like, give me the cables. You know, <laughs> he's like, you need to come work for me. And I was like, no, I was like, you know, and I didn't pressure him on it. I just was trying to explain, like, there's benefits if you're spending 15 grand on a TV, like, do you want to get the full performance or are you okay with just, you know, looking at a VCR on there, you know? Sure. Um, and then he got to make his own decision and ultimately he loved it, you know? And so he would call me all the time. Mike, I got picture, no sound. How does it work? And you know, I'd come out of the house and click the button and it worked, you know,
1: that's and, actually one that there's a parallel to that, but two, like that is really funny because we all have, like, you can only make it so far with your own TV before you have to ask for help and, always in that period of time. Like, Yep. He was on the cut, cutting edge. So
0: totally. And I can't tell you how many times my dad will call me, Hey, I'm trying to watch a VCR tape. It doesn't work. I'm like, Channel 3. You know, like yep. <laughs> Channel 3 was the thing. You know? Totally. Yep. Um,
1: input, mom. You got to press the input button. No offense, yes. mom.
0: No offense. Yes. And, and I, I think they understand. And I'm getting that way now with my kids. You know, the things oh. they can do on the phones blows me away. You know, yep. I don't have a clue how they do it. No shot. So I'm just like the parents. I never wanted to be. I said I would never <laughs> need help from my children. But now I do. Exactly. Um, so, you know, for six years, he asked me to come work for him. And, um, you oh, know, when look, I worked at Ultimate years. Electronics, I wore a suit and tie. You know, that was their thing. It, at Best Buy, it was T-shirts and jeans. And Ultimate, you were a suit and tie. We were professionals. We were going to know more than anyone else. Time so up. when I went to, yeah.
1: Did that help your insecurity? Yes. Because I,
0: I, it was, I got to hide behind it. Right. I mean, like, again, I came from waiting tables to working at a machine shop covered in grease. to now all of a sudden I look like a million bucks.
1: Yeah. Even though I wasn't, you You know, look like you went to OU, but I look like I was, you know? Yeah.
0: And that was, so that really, for a long time, I hid behind how everything looks right. Like, does my life look happy enough? Do I have the coolest car? Do I have the nicest house? You know, is everything put together? Because if I could fake it and if I could smile, right, which I created a smile on, then everyone would think I was great. And like, and that was the only way I knew to be successful is that I just had to make you think I was successful. And then I guess I was, right? Like, if you think it, it's real. Regardless if I think it, right, it was really about your perception. You know, how do you feel about me? So, you know, working for my folks. And so he asked me all these years to work for him. And when I went to go meet with them, I was like, look, like I'm used to wearing a suit and tie. I even wear one in the industrial field whenever my parents, like I showed up in a suit and tie with all the guys who are crawling around towers and oil. And they're like, you're a little dressed up to be going through here. And I'm like, Hey man, like I'm dressing for the job I want, you know, like that's, yeah. I just want to be professional. So I told the owners of that air assurance, I was like, if I'm going to work here, I want to wear a suit and tie. And they're like, we don't do that. And I'm like, I understand. So even to this day, like you can see my shirt. I have no logo on my shirt. We are a company required that every salesperson wears a polo with an air insurance logo. And I never have. And it has been a point of contention. Like there's many times where they're like, okay, we're putting our foot down. We need this. And I was like, Dave, do you think I sold $3 million last year? Do you think I could sell four if I wore a polo? And he's like, no. And I was like, then I don't want to wear one. You know, like I want to be myself. If I'm wearing a polo, I look like every other sales guy who's walked through And now people are like, oh my God, like you're gonna go in my crawl space like that? You're gonna go in my attic like that? And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. like, you know, it washes off, you know, like, but I wanna be a professional. And I feel like to me, I feel more professional dressed up than I do in jeans and a t-shirt, you know? Sure. Anyway, so uh, after all these years, he offered me the job and he said, look, we're hiring a guy tomorrow. The job's yours if you want it, you know, but otherwise I'm hiring this other guy. And I was like, I don't even know what you want me to do. You know, so I ran with his son for a day and blew my mind because we're going in and we're looking and crawling in attics and we're like, Hey, look, we're using smoke puffers and blower doors and duck blasters. You know, this is in, uh, 2003 or 2004. And, you know, it's way ahead of the curve, at least for our market. Nobody did that around here. And he's showing me how leaky things are and all these stuff. And so it was really cool because I'm like, is every house this way? He goes, all of them, they're oh. all installed wrong, you know? And so, then we go to the next house, and it's a lady who we just finished. And she's like, "This is the most amazing thing. My bedroom's finally comfortable. I don't have dust anymore." She's like, "I've lived in this house for 30 years. It's the first time I've ever been comfortable." And I'm like, "Wow, your customer's actually happy about what you did?" Like yeah. I'm used to the grumpy guy. And so I literally went back to my dad and I was like, "Hey, Dad, like, is this what you always wanted to do?" And he said, "No." He said, uh, "This was my first job out of college, and Mr. McKinney, within a few months saw how well I was doing. And it said, man, Mike, would you like to buy this company one day? And he said, yeah. So my dad got way better offers to do, make more money to do things he wanted to do. But because he felt like he gave Mr. McKinney his word, he stayed there forever to take this job. And he looks at me and we're literally like in a foot of fill, like in this garbage cooling tower, you know, full of all this asbestos around us. And he's like, you know, if this isn't the job that you want, and I don't ever want you to make the same mistake I did. Take the job you want. And I was like, right. I'm so glad you said that. This guy's offering me a job. I want to take it. And he's like, I didn't think you were going to tell me so soon, you know. <laughs> so, you know, put in my two weeks and, uh, and off I went. And so, you know, luckily, thankfully, my parents were able to sell the business, you know. And so it didn't just, you know, crush the dreams. But I've been here now 16 years. And it is the best job I've ever had because, you know, the owners of Air Assurance and the way that they really go about it is they're really a family business that genuinely care about people and want to do things the right way. And, yeah. you know, we don't have to seal duct work. We don't have to, you know, do duct blower tests or any of that stuff. But we chose to do it because my cramp is like, when I read about that. So there's this 1984 copy of national geographic magazine that shows the retro tech blower door. And he read about that. And he's like, so I'm selling people high efficiency equipment and I'm leaving them with 30% duct leakage. I'm cheating them. Right. I mean, like, So he realized that for all these years he's been selling systems, he's done it wrong. So he went through and called up, he bought the equipment. He called up all his old customers. He said, hey, look, I want to come out. We want to fix this, make it right. And so since then, it's all been about integrity, right? We do it because it's the right thing to do. Not because it's going to necessarily make money or because we want to be, you know, tout all this thing for, you know, for revenue. It's like, just take care of people. And again, it goes back to that Zig Ziglar thing. Like everything will make money if you're just doing it with the right intent right and so if we're just serving people and helping them it'll make money i don't have to focus on closing percentages and dollars and all that stuff like i just need to go out and do my job and so so was really reassuring to be able to work for a place where i could just be me and feel like i could really serve people in the way that i saw best you know uh, without feeling like i needed to sell high pressure right we don't ask for closes we don't ask for sales we just educate you know
1: you know, it's so interesting. I was going to ask, ask for an example of what you meant when you said genuinely cares and you shared the example about calling all those previous customers and going in and, and doing things the right way. I find it really interesting that there seems to be a trend toward glorifying the selling of entry-level equipment at a very high gross profit oh, man. because of the problems it solves for the contractor. It's yep. more simple to install. There's less variability. There's less learning required.
0: Mm-hmm. There's
1: all of these things. And it scares me, it, but it also, it makes me wonder, is that going to put pressure on companies like yours, people like you who are truly trying to solve problems from the homeowner's perspective, any perspective? Do you have any perspective around what you're seeing in the market around like single stage Low efficiency, low performance stuff. Like any, any observations there, or how it's impacting what you're trying to yeah. do?
0: Yeah, I mean, I see it often. You know, when I go to a customers' house and they're like, "Oh man, we've called five companies. All of them said I shouldn't buy anything over 16 seer. It's a waste of money. It doesn't waste do anything. Of money. Total. I mean, yeah, like 16 seers it. You know, and even a lot of them would say 14 seer. You know, like oh, yeah. that stuff just breaks. It doesn't work. You're not saving any money. Don't let them trick you. You know. And, you know, it, it's bothersome because in most cases, the people saying that, I don't think that they're even intentionally being negligent. I just don't think they actually understand. I don't think they've taken the time to educate themselves to actually understand how it works, how much the savings really are, and what the difference in not only comfort, but health. Because the reality is if we're spending most of our times in our homes, right, especially nowadays, through the pandemic, everyone's working at home, right? People are homeschooling, This is the safest place that we're supposed to be in and if it's not healthy because we're bringing in bad air quality from outside or now we're building houses so tight that we don't have enough fresh air and we're poisoning ourselves with off gassing from carpets and gases and paints and everything we're literally doing people a disjustice by not being a professional i mean to me we talk about this a lot if i went to a doctor Who is gonna do a surgery on me, right? Like, do I want the guy who is the best doctor? Or do I want the guy that's like, eh, I read the manual, I don't really agree, but let me try it anyways, right? Like, no way, that's malpractice, man. Like, I want the best. And why do we not strive to be the best in our industry? Always at every chance, like because we're we're really responsible. And and we literally talk about malpractice of heating and air because uh it's people's lives. You know, you may think, oh, I'm just conditioning your air. And I'm just heating and cooling it. But when we go to people's houses and we test it with an air advice and we see that the carbon dioxide is double what it should be. And you're not getting proper oxygen, like I'm talking brain damage. I mean, that's an extreme case, but like sure. there's a lot of things that people are getting hurt and they have no concept of this because no one's educated. Them. And if you're the professional, you should know what you're talking about and you should take the time to help people. You know, and then again, again, it, it is about helping because I don't want people to be sick especially if I'm the one that put it in, right? Sure. Because that sits on my heart later in life, you know, and I don't want to worry that I've hurt somebody.
1: So 16 years, you've been there. You've been selling the entire time. Where did you start and take me through the journey to get to being the highest performing salesperson in the central region of the United States, which also includes some of the hottest states in the country?
0: Yes, so, you know, when I started, you know, Mike and David both said, man, we would love to have a million dollars salesperson. That
1: right? was, the, that, oh, that was yes. the goal,
0: right? That was it. If you could hit a million and, you know, so Tom Piscatelli, all of our guys oh, had gone to that. And so, you know, they sent me to that. I went to uh, Richmond, Virginia and met them there. And it was, it was really difficult at the time because I'm three weeks in, I don't know anything, right? So they're trying to teach me how to sell HVAC. And I don't really know the difference in serating and coils and matchups and plenums. Like, everything I did was industrial. Like, I get the, the mathematics behind it, but I don't really understand what we're talking about, you know? Right. So, here we are in this room full of all these contractors who have done sales forever, owners, business guys. And again, I find myself in that back same place of, okay, I'm very under the table compared to everyone else. Here's all the smart guys. Here are the people in the industry. And I'm just this little sales guy that doesn't know what he's doing, you know?
1: Were you just waiting for someone to say, where'd you go to school?
0: Yes. Well, it
1: happened. I lied. Immediately. It's such a routine question to ask someone that in full transparency, like I wanted to ask you at the beginning of this call, because it's ingrained into the way that you greet somebody and it's completely inappropriate. It is completely inappropriate.
0: Because you're really only using that as a way to, I mean, you're not intentionally trying to judge anybody, right? But you want to know, like, oh, if they went here, then that must mean it's, that they're this level of person. They're this kind of person. And it's like, just because they didn't go to school, it doesn't mean that they're not still just as great or as smart or as capable, right. you know. But but it's, it's become conditioning. And that's how it's like, how old are you? What do you like to do? Where would you go to college? You know, like, yeah. and that defines you. You know, yeah. it's like, well. I I am going to be bad at all those questions that you just asked me, you know, and it's like, you know, I don't fit the mold, you know? So, yeah, so yeah, I was, I was very uncomfortable. And of course, first question, like, where'd you come from? And so like the only thing I had to like, at least feel on par is say, well, you know, at least I did this on a commercial side with water. I just didn't do air. So they're like, okay, like, cool. He's smart. He just doesn't know this business yet, you know? So I can kind of fit in. And as we go through the class, I'd never been through a formal sales training, you know? So Mm -hmm. we're making the book, you know, to show oh, yeah. our company's story and the, you know, the iceberg, you know, here's what's underneath it. You know, all you see is the top and, you know, and I know that that was really the way that things had gone forever. You know, um, still going I way. found it very, yeah, it's still, you're right. there are still <laughs> yeah. do that. No offense to any of them. Like it just feels cheesy to me because I don't want to sell in a script. I don't, every person is different. Right. Every customer is different and every salesperson is different. And I don't just want to be an order taker who's flipping through a book. Says, Let me show you what this says. And by the way, here's the price. Like, right. do, you, do, you, do you trust me enough? Can I buy from you? You know, I mean, so. But it was interesting as we were going through it, you know, so they're recording us, you know, on camera. and You know, we've gone through the three days of class. And on the last day, as we're doing our little exercise, you know, they start asking me questions like, hey, Mike, like, okay, like, you be the salesperson. So I come in, I'm like, hey, Mr. Customer, you're trying to sell a system. They're like, yeah, you know, I don't think that I want to do this. I think I just want to buy the air conditioner. And I'm like, okay, like, you can do that. I'm like, now, just so you know, if you buy the air conditioner and you don't get the coil at the same time, like, you're only going to get like a five-year warranty. If you happen to do them both at the same time, you'll get 10, you know, and then he's like, oh, okay, you know, and then he's like, yeah, I don't want to do that, you know, so we start going through other things and we're asking other questions. And then you know, I remember circling back and going like, where, you know, are you familiar with sear rating? And he's like, what's that? And I was like, well, you know, it just explains the efficiency, you know? And I was like, you know, the coil that you have in there is like one of those little bitty old ream coil, you know, 10 sear coils. You're trying to buy a 15 sear unit. You're not going to get the efficiency because they don't match, you know? And he's like, Oh, and I was like, but you can do that. I said, I don't really care what you buy. It's not my house, not my money. And he's like, no, I want to do that. You know? So I just felt like we were having a conversation and at the end, Everyone came over to me and they're like, how did you do that? And I was like, do what? They're like, well, how did you, he said, no, this here and here. And yet somehow he still decided that that was the right thing for him. And I'm like, I mean, I don't know. I, I just wanted him to understand. And I understand that often people say, I want the cheapest thing. I don't want this. I don't want that. And then you instantly stop what you're doing and you give them exactly what they asked for. And I said, the difference is if they don't understand, they can't make the choice wisely. So right. I accept what they have to say. I acknowledge it. And then I still bring back up to educate them. Hey, here's how these things work. And ultimately, most people end up picking the better choice because once they get it, they can make an educated choice instead of just the choice of, I don't want to spend money. And that's what most people are making their choice off is strictly a dollar information, you know? So it was really cool in that moment because I'm like, cool, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I guess I'm maybe still good at, you know, explaining it to people. So. That was the first time I really noticed it. So I left that class, um, in March and I started selling at the home garden show, middle of March. And that first year I sold like 950,000. Um, so you're killing it. I, So yeah, you're, awesome, you're back. Right? I mean,
1: yep. You're back in the game. This, yep. the, um, the test of hiring the electronics salesperson is working for air assurance.
0: Totally. You know, and they're blown away and they're like, man, had you sold the whole year you'd have for sure hit a million. So, so, but in my first full year of selling, I did like one point two or one point three million, yep. um, and was ec- ecstatic, right? And
1: they were t- can't really you know, imagine so, more than that. Like at that time and no, that age, it. like oh. that is that is highest performance.
0: You're the pinnacle, you know. Yeah. I mean, you're top in the country, top three, four percent, right? I mean, of guys sure. that are really doing this. And here we are, a little bitty mom and pop in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, you know. And so, so it was it was really validating at that time and felt really good. And so, you know, life. Continue to go on and do well, and and you know we have more children and more things are happening, and I just nothing's changed though. I mean, I'm doing great. Still, don't love myself. I mean, that's okay. the reality. Like, it's like I see things in myself that I like about myself, but then at the, end of the day, like, I, I'm just not happy. You know, what was the hang up? Um, the real, real hang up, Paul, is that um, when my dad left at seven and ended up living in a different state or first a different country then a different state, you know, it, it, for me made me feel not lovable. Like I understand that maybe you don't love my mom and you guys aren't going to be together, but if you loved me or if I had value, like you would live here right with me and you would be my dad full time. And so, so I internalized that along with everything else of not fitting in and not having the money and all the other things that I was just a really worthless kid. Um, you know, I remember my teacher in fifth grade telling my mom that she thought I was possessed by the devil, uh, Ms. Stafford, because I kept moving around all the time and I was always talking and I just couldn't sit still, you know? And, and I mean, that really affected me, you know, as a kid, you know, to hear, like hear them say that about me. And so, so I just, unfortunately, because of that, you know, I just didn't have a lot of self-worth. And so even though I had been doing well in things and, you know, and I felt better about certain things, but you know, I just didn't feel like I I was me. And so, and I think because of that, I didn't even know who I was. You know, I yeah. I pretended to be an engineer, you know, I pretended to do this or that, you know, I pretended to be great. You know, it's like, you know, I went through this class called Pathways. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Discovery that they have, like in, you know, Vegas and stuff.
1: I so- have not, but yet really break this down because this is the This is really the turning point for you. This is, you know, you're, you're high performing, you're at 1.2 million. You could have just, you know, cruised and grown over the years, but this was a turning point. So break down pathways, how, when, where, what happened?
0: So this is 2014. um, And unfortunately my wife and I were going through divorce. Um, You know, I'd been out of the house for a year and a half or maybe a year at this point, um, which of course just added, like, here I am, doing the same thing as my dad. Right. I've, I've moved out. I'm not there. I mean, even though I live down the street and I see them all the time, you know, I'm just, I'm feeling, you know, worthless more. So, you know, I'm hurting my children, you know, and you know, everyone's judging me and, you know, I, I don't believe in divorce, but here I'm going through it all. And So, you know, I had a friend come to me who was a really close friend of mine. She's was my um, Edward Jones investment lady. She goes, Hey Mike, you know, I heard what's going on. Don't need the details. She goes, I went through this class. She goes, it really helped me get a lot of direction in life because every day I'm like, do I get divorced? Do I not? What should I do? You know, I'm just constantly on these fences. And I was like, man, direction is exactly what I need. Yeah. So, uh, this class in Pathways in Dallas. Uh, so, Dr. Phil started this thing 30 years ago before he the left. The Dr. 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 Phil. Phil. The Dr. Phil. Yeah. Phil McGraw. So, he started this and he started it as a high performing CEO, big time people. Like, we're going to bring them in and we're going to help them to not only work through their hurts, but in an emotional, intelligent way, teach them. How to be stronger and better performers in life right and then they could take that to their companies and radically change them all right yeah. so he does it very well and then he goes and leaves me dr. Phil and this nonprofit pathways basically takes it over. So going to this class for the first time in my life you know there was 54 people in my class yeah. and um, it's like an emotional boot camp. It is the hardest, most difficult thing I've ever done in my life but the beautiful part to it is you know it's a group. So you're sharing, right? So some guy shares, man, I'm going through divorce. I'm hurting. Oh man, me too. I know what that feels like, right? Or I've been molested. Oh, man, me too, right? And so now all of a sudden you have a room full of complete strangers that because we don't really know each other. I'm not really afraid of them judging me. I don't really know them, right? And so they're sharing their stuff. I'm sharing my stuff. And before I know it, like we're really in this very authentic Open, vulnerable place where we've shared some of our deepest secrets that I'd never thought I would tell anybody. You know, and they still like me, right? The fear that I had worried about my whole life that man, if only people knew this. If people knew I had dropped out, I had done drugs, I'd gotten an abortion. I mean, whatever it is for whoever story it is, right? Like we live in this fear of worry of judgment that if people really know what we know and think, that they're not going to like us. And it's the first time that I got to just be me and still be loved and still, and then realize as the class progresses cause it's four months long. So it's really a month intense
1: of commuting to Dallas or what does that look yes. like? Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: So the, the first weekend you go for three days. So yep. the weekend is a Friday at seven till Sunday at five and the weekends about trust. You're trying to mm-hmm. trust each other, break down some walls, open up some things. Then you go for 10 days back home to regular life as you're kind of stirred open with all these emotions and feelings, and then you go for the walk. And the walk is five days, literally 13, 14, 15 hours a day of just intense. Um, and that literally was the best week of my life. That yeah. week was the first time that I ever really saw myself and loved myself. Like I found that little boy, Michael, seven years old in Mexico, that was this happy, beautiful kid before life changed. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think we all have that. We all have a pinnacle of time where it's like, man, we can remember how fun, how carefree and how amazing life was. And then something happened in some way. We got the blinders off our eyes to see the world as hurt and turmoil. And that all of a sudden we're not worthy because we're right. these beautiful little children, you know, growing up. And then all of a sudden we're not, you know? Right. And so it's like, I got to go back to that little boy and realize that like, that is an awesome little kid, you know, and he was made in this beautiful way, just by God. And it's like, you know, like we all have value and and we're all different. And I got to realize that like, I don't have to be like everyone else. I don't have to make a certain amount of money or go to a certain school or laugh a certain way or do things to make other people happy. Like me, myself and I, I am enough. And, and that was a complete game changer because once I could love myself, then I could actually love other people differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I can't love you because you can't love me because I'm not lovable. Right. So it's like. It changes the dynamic of relationships. Uh, yeah. If you're faithful, you know, it changed my relationship with God because I would keep him away. Cause so I'm like, well, I know you can forgive everyone, God, but you can't forgive me. Like, I'm, I'm too broken. I'm too dirty. I'm too whatever. Um, and that was me doing that to myself, you know, but I would blame that on other people. Well, other people are mean or other people put me down. It's like we're really our own worst enemies, you know.
1: And it wasn't like you were seeking sales training, this was to at all help patch your life together. What was Air Assurance's support during this period of time? What was that like?
0: So, you know, I went to them and of course, not making, not doing well financially, you know, trying to pay for, you know, two different households and all the things that it was, you know, it was, it was a struggle. And so, you know, I went and sat to the owner. I was like, Mike, like, here's what I'm going through. And, you know, I'm going through this class and I went through one of them and this next one's a thousand dollars, you know, it's a lot of money right now. And I don't have it, you know? And he's like, you know, I want to support you. Like, I believe in you. I want you to be healthy and whole. Uh, And if I can help your marriage, you know, I want to help that too. And so, so they helped pay for me to go to this class or he personally did not the company. Yeah. Um, But he personally helped pay for me to go to this class because, you know, at the end of the day, he loves me, right? Like he, he's like my father, you know, I mean, um, I look up to him and think, man, one day that's the kind of dad, that's the kind of grandfather I want to be when I watch him interact with his kids. And so, seeing him love and care for me in that way, you know, of course meant a lot to me. And so, so they were very supportive of the time I took off to go to the class. Um, and again, they were just doing it because they cared on the flip side, man, they got a huge benefit out of it. Right. So yeah, I, at that point I was that. selling about a million and a half to 1.7 for probably, I don't know, eight years, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, it would slowly grow. This pretty stagnant, uh, that year after going to pathways, uh, I sold two and a half million. And was shocking to uh, see such a quick difference. Um, and since then, I've gone to three, three and a half, and this year, you know, just barely shy of four. And all of it came to because of connection, right? Like okay. before, I mean, I was trying to help people and sell things, you know, and, and, and help them. But the way that I connected with people and the why, right? Like before, I was. I mean, I always have had the right intent that I want to help people. But now I don't just want to help them with their heating and air. Like I genuinely want to help their heart, their soul, their minds, you know, their hurts, you know, because yeah. I think we all can relate to that. If we if, if everyone in the world is hurting and we all feel less than right, what can we do as people to genuinely help the world be better? And, you know, when I go to customers houses, it's, you know, pretty my standard thing. Open the door. Hey, how's it going? I'm like, you know, you know, how long have you lived here? You know, what do you do for work? what do you do for fun, right? Those are kind of my standard three questions. And between those three questions, it's amazing what it leads into. Oh, well, you know, man, fun, like, I don't know, fun, I got four kids, you know, like, I do work, oh, man, I can relate on that. Like, I'm just looking for something to relate to, right? Yeah. And somewhere along with what they're going to share, I can relate. So I'm like, oh, man, like, oh, I, I used to do that, or my friend does that, or I know how that feels. And before you know it, like, we're engaging in real conversation. We're not just Let me measure things. Let me look at things. Let me give you a price. Here it is. Hey, I promise we're the best. Just like everyone says, see you later. Right. And that's your typical transaction.
1: And that was the change in the process. It was, it's not like you intentionally from Pathway said, I'm going to sell different. It was, I'm going to connect with people in a different way because I actually genuinely care and want to know.
0: Yes, because I want to know their story. Everyone is amazing. I mean, we're amazing people. The things that we've done in our life is incredible. And everyone yeah. has such cool stories. And it's like, I just want to know them. And so like, literally, I'll sit there with an old man. He'll tell me his war stories for an hour. And it's awesome to think about what he's seen in his 80 years of life, you know, that I can't even imagine what it was like in the 20s, you know, before TV and cell phones and, you know, all the stuff that we have, you know. And so, so honestly, like, I'm just, I want to connect like I'm there to connect. I really want to make a friend, you know, and I want to make a bond. That's more than just let me sell you something. And so that has been a game changer because it's authentic, right? Yeah, I'm not there to be a salesman. I'm there to be a friend. I'm there to be, you know, whatever it is that we need in that moment between us. And, um, it typically has ended up in amazing friendships. So like my Facebook is littered with people, who are constantly following the things that we do in life you know who are used to be customers who are now our friends and you know when the time comes at their connection breaks are they going to go hey you had one of yours done who did it uh i, I think it was erico eric I, I don't remember Yeah, it was good you know i mean that's the common thing right Or it's like oh my mike. gosh like mike dude you got to call mike this guy's awesome i watch what he does on facebook he's always crawling in attics he's doing this stuff like this is the guy to call right like what kind of referral do you want? Like, oh yeah, I yeah. think they said you guys at Air Assurance, or no, call Mike only, right? So, that has been the other part of the amount of business that I get that's referral based because they're only calling me. I didn't right. sell them on Air Assurance; I sold them on Mike Dillon, right? And that's the difference of the person because I care about them. I know our company right. does, and and we do a better job, in my opinion, than anyone I've ever seen as a company. So, when I am Explaining what we do as a company, that is a really important piece, but who are they buying from? Me, right? Sure. When something goes wrong, who do I want them to call? Me. Like if you don't know how to work thermostat, call me. If it's two in the morning, call me. You know, I'm the guy. Don't call the company, you know.
1: So I'm I wanna pick this apart for a little bit because we have business owners who are listening to this. And is there ever a tension between like, hey, Mike, it's the air assurance brand, not the Mike G brand? I know I right. shorthanded your name. How do you balance that tension internally in the office?
0: Well, um, you know, it's not, I'm, you know, I don't, you know, take any business from the company, obviously, I right? Like to sure. me, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Through the yeah. company, you know, um, but everyone knows me. So I have an air assurance bike racing team. So, you know, when I started, you know, the owner's like, look, you need to be involved in something, right? Go be in a leads group, go get in the chamber, like, we need to be in the community, and we need to be helping people. And we were really big in the community uh, in Broken Arrow. And so, you know, a couple of years in, you know, I started riding bicycles because you know I am gained forty pounds. You know, I was a little heavy, and uh, was looking for some way to lose weight. And so, you know, started riding bikes. Yep. So we we're having fun, and there's this big race in Tulsa called Tulsa Tough, which you gotta Google Tulsa Tough. It is awesome. The videos. Uh, it's like going to France to watch the Tour de France but on steroids with a little Mardi Gras mixed in. Like it's, yeah. it's pretty nuts, but pretty definitely nice. a fun time. So, um, so I see that and I'm like, man, I want to race. Like I've never been in sports. I didn't play any sports in school. Obviously I went to school very long. So, but I've always wanted to do that. So I start racing with some friends and, you know, we try and get sun and ski to sponsor us, which was the bike shop most of them worked out. Yep. Didn't work out. And I was like, Hey, like, how would you guys feel if like Airstream sponsored? And they're like, that would be awesome. And I'm like, Oh really? Like the only race teams in Tulsa, are all bike shops. Like I thought that would not be cool. And they're like, no, out of the industry is even cooler. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. You know? So I went to the owners and, and asked them and I said, Hey guys, like for $5,000, you know, we can buy all these kits and sponsor a race team. And they're like, yeah, no, we can't do that. And I was like, yeah. no, no, you don't understand. Like, it'll be great. No, no, no. If we do that, I got to sponsor Joey's kids softball team and all these things. Like people ask us for money all the time, you know, and we just can't do it. You know? I was like, okay. So after a couple weeks, I went back and I was like, Hey, what if I use my own money? I'll put up the five grand, but any leads that come in from it, I get them. Right. So that way, I mean, if I'm investing in it, cause I believe it's going to work, you know, and they're like, knock yourself out. You Dime know, you want to use that. So I buy the kits. And that first year we did, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in business, you know, um, and we were in the paper and we were, you know, on news channels. And all of a sudden, you know, people are coming up to my cramping at church, like, Hey man, like, how do I get one of these air assurance jerseys? Like these are so cool. And so like they were just seeing the community because for me, when I started the team, cause I tried to join another one and the other team was like, nah, like you guys aren't that fast. You don't know what you're doing. You know, it's very clicky, which for me, just like high school. I'm like, yeah. man, like, can't we just like, are we not past that? You know? So right. I was like, I'm going to start a team. I don't care how fast you are. I want a team of good, like-minded people that care about each other that want to be a positive impact of the community. And we'll go ride some bikes together, you know? Yep. And so our team grew from the first like eight of us so that over the years, we had almost a hundred people on our team from triathletes who competed in worlds uh, to national champions. I mean, like it's unreal, the talent that we am getting on our team. And it was whether like my buddy, he's a trash man and broken arrow. And the other guy is an attorney and the other one's a doctor and then a stay at home mom. It's like, no matter who you were, if you're on a bike, you fit in, right? Right. And it's the first sport in our team that I'd really ever seen. that didn't matter how much money you made or what you've been through, you're all welcome, you know? And so that really helped our team to thrive. And and because of that, we got a ton of business because everybody's friend or cousin somehow knows someone who rides on the team. And so the amount of business that we've got through it is tremendous. And cyclists, they're very loyal to each other. They're like, oh, you like what I like? cool. I'm going to support your business, right? I mean, we get so many calls from people that don't even know me, but they're like, Hey, like I ride bikes and I want to use you guys because you support cycling, you know? Yeah. And so it's been, it's been awesome. So that's led to a huge part of this success as well as of how much referral business I get, because everywhere I go, even if I don't wear an air assurance shirt. Okay. Everybody knows me as the cycling guy from air assurance, right? Cause yeah. All my buddies wear air assurance t-shirts and every one of their profile pages is what them stouting their air assurance Jersey. It's like, they're all marketing for us and they'll and pay for it. tons of business and they're paying for it. They'll be loving it. it right. Yeah. And they're making posts of look how proud I am on my air assurance Jersey. It's like, I can't even get yeah. employees to do that. Right. Totally. Employees don't want to wear air assurance shirts outside, but all my buddies will, you know? And so sure. it's just awesome. And, and it wasn't intentional. Like I had no idea that this would happen. But in this grassroots way, it turned into a huge part of our business. And yeah. you know, we we put on multiple bike races here in town. We have a bike club, so air insurance on Wednesdays. We go and ride with 30 kids at the school. We teach them bike safety and then like how to you know signal. But ultimately, the purpose is like we're connecting with kids that don't have dads at home, right? Who yeah. know I want to show them that there's other ways to get around besides cars. Like riding bikes is fun. And oh look, you're exercising and you don't even know it because yeah. we need that, you know. So so it's just really cool how it's all kind of fit into the community. And because of that, it just happened to have been really profitable for our business.
1: And pro tip, we were talking about this before we started recording. Cyclists love technical details and they love paying for an edge. So love it. they're not, they're, I mean, they're going to put, you know, they're going to look for carbon fiber coils, forget aluminum. Yeah. right. Part, right? <laughs> um, so for those listening, here's your pro tip, go sponsor or start your own local cycling club. So, um, I want to talk, you, you mentioned about getting leads. I want to look at kind of your, your week to week, and then we'll kind of wrap up here. Cause I know I'm, I'm using a lot of your time. You're getting a lot of leads through the bike stuff, but what does your week look like? What's your self, what's your split of self-generated leads and explain to me your process for managing what seems like a very, very busy schedule.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, I would say probably more than half of my leads are all self-generated uh, where most of the guys at our company are 100% on their own. Uh, and just to give perspective, because our company runs a phenomenal company. So last year, I did 3.95 million. And the closest guy, Timmy, did 1.7. And then yeah. the other guys did 1.5, 1.2, right? So I almost sold as more as all four of them combined. And the main reason for that, in my opinion, is just the leads, right? I mean, if I'm running a self-generated lead, I almost have a 100% close ratio on that, right? Because They know me their friends use me right and so the trust factor is really there versus just some person who's called out of the phone book so most of my day i typically run i should only run three leads a day right i spend minimum two hours or not minimum i i spend on average two hours with every customer so by the time of walking through crawling through the attic doing a design giving them the price explain it all takes about two hours and then i end up normally especially in the busier time, going to five or six houses a day where I popped in real quick because my realtor friends who are selling all these homes need house inspections. And in Oklahoma, the mechanical inspectors that are doing inspections, they don't look at duct leakage, freon on leaks, any of that stuff. And so right. I carry my very own leak detector. So even though I'm a sales guy, I also like the technical side. So I'll open up a coil and be like, oh, you got a leak where you would have bought this house and they would have sold your home warranty. And then you'd be dealing with home warranty to fix it. How about we just replace the coil and the air conditioner now, right? And so I'm like, I'm kind of sliding in these little things in between my normal two-hour leads to just constantly be in the market. And for anyone out there, like, I think an excellent way is to do these, you know, house inspections and I don't charge anything. I just do it on my own for free to help them out because I don't want to see a buyer, especially my age, you see 30 to four-year-old people buying a home, they get into it, they spent every penny they have to get in. And then what happens? They move in, free on leak, their ducks are rusted in the floor, something major happens, and now they don't have five to 10, 20 grand to fix it, right? So if we can yeah. find it up front, right, it saves them on the backside. So sure. But so that's, that's kind of my normal day is, you know, three, four, five leads a day. Yep. Um, again, half of them being my own, and it's just a, a constant game of, literally in the summertime, I'll have 70 to 80 phone calls, 70 to 100 texts. Emails, Facebook messages, customers that I'm seeing, I mean, it's a lot to juggle. Um, thankfully, for someone with ADD, it's awesome, right? I can multitask <laughs> like crazy. And so the thing that they told me was terrible for me is exactly who I needed to be for where I'm at, you know? And so,
1: which it's is just, yeah, it's great. So
0: funny how that is in life, you know? Like, I think if we can just take the things that we think are negative or challenges in most cases, I think they actually work to our benefit if we just learn how to use it, right?
1: Yes. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing. So let's, so you've explained to me what has changed at work after coming out of Pathways and kind of where you are now, how, how do you feel about yourself now? What's the transformation you went through personally and where's that leave you today as you look in the mirror, at Mike, get in.
0: I used to have a really hard time looking at myself in the mirror, right? Because I never liked who I saw and I would look at myself and critique myself. And um, it is a pretty beautiful feeling to be able to look at myself and know that I'm doing things with intent. I'm doing things with integrity that I can be honest. Right. And, and that's probably the biggest thing for me is honesty because um, you know, if you can't be honest with other people, you also can't be honest with yourself. Right. And, And I think that's the biggest thing because before, it was more important that you liked me than it was that I was honest, you know. And so, even if that was, oh man, I love chocolate, and I'm like, oh, me too. Like, I don't like chocolate. Now I can really say, oh, well, I'm glad you like chocolate. That's awesome. Like, it may not be my favorite thing. Like, it's okay that we may have different opinions, but being able to find the value, you know, and who I really am as a person, and realize that I am made unique. Nobody can be better. At Mike G or Mike Gillen or Mike Guillen than me. Like, I don't have to be Paul. I don't have to be Jesse. I don't have to be all these other people that we look up to or these movie stars or these these wonderful people in the world that we admire. And it's like, I just need to figure out how to be the best version of myself. And if I can do that, I will succeed in life because th- I have my own unique tools that nobody else has. Right? You may have parts of them, but you don't have every single thing I have. Right? And so. So that's, that's what really has helped me to really not only do so well in this, but in life, because um, I finally can see the value in who I am and everything that I went through. I'm now proud to say I dropped out of high school. So I dropped out of high school. I didn't go to college. I can make over 300,000 a year and I don't have to be a college graduate. Right. And, and I can be proud of that.
1: And And I don't have to tell anybody that either,
0: you know, like, yeah and, yeah. and I mean, I was so insecure forever. And it's like, yeah. even if I made 50 grand a year, I don't care. Like, you know, the amount of money that I make doesn't matter. But it's interesting that what I what I, where I put myself, I put my own limits on myself based on what right. I did. Right. I'm never going to make a lot of money unless I'm a doctor. I'm never going to be successful in life unless I do this. You know, and it's like success now looks different. Right. Success is do I have real relationships that are connected? Right. Are my children engaged? Am I loving them? Am I genuinely impacting the community in a positive way? Right? Like, like, what am I really doing? Because, you know, a hundred years from now, when I'm dead, there's really nothing, unless I happen to be the president, that's going to be here, right? There's going to be a gravestone in the ground that has my name and three generations from now, none of my kids and grandkids are going to know who I am. Okay. I'm just another dead body in the ground, but But where I'm at right now is I feel like there's two big changes that I can leave on this world. Okay. So my legacy, instead of leaving a legacy of money or a legacy of stuff, right. I want to leave a legacy of love because the way that I treat people, the way that I love them and what I show them, that love will continue on through generations and generations or the way I hurt people, right. Mm -hmm. That hurt will continue to hurt other people. And I'm like, Those are the only two things that over the next thousands of years that any ripple that I make on this world is one of those two things. I'm like, can I choose to make it based out of love with the way that I care and treat people, you know, and, and it all comes from, I got to love myself before I can love other people, you know? Uh, So that for me has been the biggest life change that I've been able to find.
1: So good. Thank you for sharing. Last final question, maybe, maybe two, but then we'll wrap up here. I can only imagine the the pile of text messages you're getting right now. All of these people, (laughs) You'll, you'll get to them. It's not easy for everyone to connect, right? So for advice for someone who is going up to the door this afternoon on their next call, and they're looking to make a connection and someone has a wall up, what are some tools, strategies, tactics, advice to help them break that wall down and get into that zone of connection with another human being, potentially a customer?
0: Yeah. I mean, especially on the customer side, you know, why, why the question is why, why are most people's walls up? right? Yeah. When you go to the house, what are they expecting? Okay. A salesman's going to try and take advantage of me, right? I mean, that's our preconceived thing. I've been burned before. People have not done what they've said. Someone's going to try and sell me something I don't need. So that's their wall, right? So as soon as you walk in the door, so so what can you do to take that wall down, right? And the only way you can take it down is to stand next to them against that wall because I know what that feels like. The only reason I don't ask for a sale. So And this, I could, I know that I could do a better job in sailing than what I do. I don't call back a single customer and ask for a single sale. Never. Never. I don't ask for, There's no
1: follow. Got it.
0: Never. And even when I'm at the customer's house, I don't ask for the sale. I'm like, okay, here's all the information. Like I've educated you as much as I can. I really appreciate your time. If there's anything that, you know, that you need to know later, please don't hesitate to call me. But here's the information as you go to get the other bids. If you have any questions to compare them, give me a call. It's been awesome to meet you. See you later. That is the end of my quote. Like I never say, when are you planning on doing this? Is there a system that you like? What are you wanting to do? Who else are you gonna talk to? Nothing, like I'm just gonna give it away, okay? Because I feel like if I've done my job, because my job is not to sell things. My job is to educate people, to connect with people, and to show them, all the different ways so that they can understand what exactly it is that they're doing so that they can make the best educated choice. And if I've done that properly, they will call me, which is why I sell that. I do because the other guys come through, they don't do that. They don't connect. They don't educate. They just give prices. And it's like, okay, here's five guys that gave me a price. Here's the guy that gave me the education that I believe that I trust is going to do it right. And they call me. Now, I don't close every sale, right? I mean, I'm in about 50% range, so I know I lose sales and I know if I would call and follow up, I would sell more. But for me, that's not my style because I got hard closed as a kid. I was 20 years old, get a knock on the door. Guy's like, hey man, I'll clean your carpet for free if you let me do a demo. And I'm like, great, come clean the carpet, you know? He comes in with his Kirby vacuum cleaner, cleans it, it's amazing, we go through this whole hour presentation. And he's like, okay, you know, like, would you like one of these? And I was like, "Well, how much is it? Twenty six hundred dollars." I'm like, "No, like, I'm twenty years old. I'm not spending twenty six hundred dollars on a Kirby vacuum cleaner." And oh, come on, man, it's the best thing. It's the best thing. And he just keeps pushing me, and I'm like, and I'm really uncomfortable. And I'm like, "Look, what about all no. the
1: mold and bacteria that you're right, need,
0: right?" But look at the difference. Like, see how much we got up, and look at yours didn't clean. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I get it." You know. So then it's well, what if we do it for twenty two hundred? Come on, man. Like, and literally for 3 hours i cannot get this guy out of my house oh right my finally he leaves you know you know my, my manager's right down the street you know in the other car he's waiting me he to come back you know what if we can do it for 1800 you know it's like it's just so uncomfortable and oh. i i never want to make anyone feel like that right cuz i know what that feels like right and then for weeks the guy calls me hey what if we can do this what if we can do that and so you know part of the reason that i don't ask for the sale and i don't follow up is because it's awkward. When you get the call and you know you're not going to use somebody, you don't want to tell them no because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You like them. We, we're, we're nice people, right? And we don't want to hurt people's feelings. So, right. so I'm giving people the chance to not hurt my feelings. You never have to tell me no. You never have to call me and you never have to say that stuff. And so when I'm there with the customer in the very beginning and their walls are up, I know why their walls are up because I felt the same way. So how can I get next to them to go, oh man, like, have you been through something like this before? Oh yeah. like. I know that once I had my house painted, or I'll tell them the Kirby vacuum cleaner story. I'm like, I really don't like salespeople. I don't like how it makes me feel. I hope that as we go through this, I want you to know I have no intent of treating you that way. Right. And then they're like, oh, you know what that's like. And then the next thing, what are they doing? They're going to tell you the story of when they got hard closed or they got taken advantage of. And now what have we done? We're on the same page. I'm no longer away from them on the other side of the wall. I'm behind the wall with them in the same place. And and that's really the whole thing of learning is like, how do we connect with people and realize if you know what their hurt is, let's figure it out and share how we're on the same place. And then once we have that trust, man, now the rest of the two hours is an awesome conversation because we're genuinely talking, not trying to Nope. Nope. Everything's fine. Nope. Nope. That bedroom's comfortable. Nope. My bills aren't high. You know, no matter what you ask, it's a no, no, no. And now it's a, Oh, I know I can trust this guy. So now the homeowner can be honest and go, yeah, that room isn't comfortable. Can yeah. we actually fix that like affordably? Yeah, yeah we can do yeah. that, you know? And so it changes the whole dynamic. So I guess the real truth is you need to figure out what is it that's getting in their way, what's hurting them or what has hurt them, and how can you share something on your same table, right? So that you there guys can get on the same side.
1: And spoiler alert, we all have those things. Everybody. If genuinely care and ask the question that's all there. Um, I'm just curious. This is more of a technical question, but um, any idea of your close rate and you don't have to share it. If, and if you don't measure it, that's fine too.
0: Yeah. So we just now started watching it. We haven't for years, but I'm I'm somewhere in the 50% range. Okay. I think I was 50% yeah. last year or 57% yeah. last year. Um,
1: it, it's fascinating. So, yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks, um, man. Lacked, yeah. Final question. I keep saying that, but tell me about team suicide prevention. Tell me what that is and tell uh, us how listeners can support and connect with you through that initiative.
0: Yeah. So again, it just kind of comes back to passions and people. And, um, you know, my, my best friend, Todd, um, was a cycling buddy on my team. Uh, he's a doctor did really well, you know, was married to a friend of ours, Tiffany. And one day after a ride, you know, um, on a Wednesday night I was riding home and I see him sitting on a park bench and like, that's kind of weird to be sitting at nine o'clock at night on a bench. And so I ride over there, I'm like, Hey, everything. Okay. Like, did you get a flat? And he's like, no, 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 I'm fine. And that, and that right there is the difference. Oftentimes when you ask people, Hey, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm good. Everyone gives us that response. Oftentimes we know that they're not. We choose to accept it because either we're uncomfortable or we think they don't want to talk about it and we move on. But in that moment, I knew Todd was not fine. And so I'm like, Todd, man, like, can I sit with you? He's like, sure. You know, so I sit down and we talked for hours, man. And, um, you know that night literally todd was planning to take his life and um you know like what if i wouldn't have stopped what if i wouldn't have talked to him what if i wouldn't have really pried to get to where we were you know like i would have lost him you know and uh you know so todd went through pathways and because just like anyone else we all have hurt and it was beautiful to see just uh all these things you know he was adopted as a kid and i mean there was just there was just a lot of hurt you know And he he wanted to help people because he couldn't help himself right as a child you know when you're in you know in an orphanage right like you can't take care of yourself you know and so he wanted to be able so he became a child doctor because he wanted to help kids who were helpless you know in icus and so he built this incredible life just like the rest of us but yet was still riddled with hurt you know and, you know, here he was going to take his life. And so, um, you know, I told him that day, I was like, man, you ever need me, you call me, I will always answer. And, um, you know, I was writing some letters to some friends one night, uh, talking to my wife, and he called me like 1130 at night. And I was just like, hey, man, can I call you tomorrow? You know, give me a thumbs up. And the next morning, I get a call from his wife and she's like, hey, have you seen Todd? And I was like, no, like, you know, Wednesday night ride, he probably rode last night. She's like, well, he didn't call me last night. And I'm like, well, you know, probably rode late. She's like, he never doesn't call she's like you don't understand like you can count on him on what he does you know so we went to his house and um unfortunately found him you know on the floor um he was hurting that night you know and and um unfortunately took his life you know and i and i i for a while really blamed myself because i didn't have to call like i promised him you know i told him i would be there and i didn't you know and Oh, just coming out so emotional, but um, it really wrecked me for a long time because I felt so guilty, you know, like what if I didn't answer the phone, you know, and, you know, I did have to work through it to realize like it was his choice and it's other people's choice. And I I can't save everyone, right? Like I can't be there 24 hours a day to protect them, you know, like, but I know that I can love people and I can help them. And, you know, as his wife talked to me, she's like, he had two amazing years from the time you sat and talked to him that he had healing, that he healed the relationship with his son like so many beautiful things happened. And she's like, I know you see that he still took his life, but you gave him two years as a gift that really changed his family, you know? And like, we got to sit on that stuff. And so, you know, having struggled myself personally with suicide and depression and, you know, like I said, my friend and my family and my uncles and aunts, and like, you know, I've just lost a lot of people over the years. And uh, so a friend of mine had came and said, hey, like, I want to do something impactful and I want to raise money, you know, for suicide prevention. And And again, it all ties into just what we talked about before. I mean, you may not be suicidal, but if we all are harder on ourselves and we don't love ourselves, at the end of the day, sometime we could get to that dark place, you know, when we don't take care of ourselves and love ourselves. So uh, we decided to ride our bicycles across the country. So we rode from Oceanside, California, which is basically San Diego, uh, all the way to um, Annapolis, Maryland, south of D.C. And uh, we rode it in June and we did in eight days, 19 hours and 32 minutes. Um, We basically rode 24 hours a day as an eight-man team. Uh, You know, we kind of took breaks and shifts, Sure, but it was the most exhausting, amazing, incredible eight days of my life because as we rode and we're sharing our stories on Facebook, I mean, everywhere we stopped at a gas station, people were coming up to us and they'd see Team Suicide Prevention in our vans and our jerseys and like pour their hearts out. I mean, complete strangers like, man, I tried taking my life or I lost my daughter. You know, we had a guy drive eight hours just to talk to us and give us some money and share a story. And so we had this Jersey that we started off with about 20 names. And as we rode, people would stop and find us and write the name of their loved one that they lost, you know? And so by the time we got to the end, it's almost a completely black Jersey filled with the names of loved ones, you know, and and we got to ride in their honor that, you know, that their lives are not forgotten, you know, that they are important, that they are heard. And for anyone else out there, like you are enough, you do matter, you know, and um it's just uh it's an incredible opportunity to be able to share honesty and vulnerability with the world. And you know, of course, lots of news stations and stuff kind of picked us up as we traveled across. And and we have another group that's doing it again this year. And so you can go to team suicide prevention.com uh, and it has basically a story. So this year we have a four-man team. Uh, that's going to do it and it's a 73 year old and some old 60 and not old but older you know 60 year old guys right. um, that are going to do this and um, you know we just continually we go to churches we go to schools uh, we go to rotary groups lions groups and they're just kind of sharing the story because when you're nuts enough to ride across the country in eight days on a bicycle you know people seem to want to listen you know and they're intrigued and uh, and it just gives us the opportunity to share our hearts because as I shared it with rotary in Broken Arrow a few months ago, you know, there was a guy that after I shared it, you know, we're all in tears together that he stands up and he's like, man, my daughter is struggling with this. And here's what we've been dealing with. And, you know, everybody knows this guy. And I asked him, did you guys have any idea that he's going through? So like, nope. And I'm like, and that's the problem. You guys come together as a rotary group because you want to help the community and you want to do better things to make it a better place to live. Yet, we don't trust each other enough in our own small group here to be honest and share what we're going through for fear of being judged, you know? And it was, it was really eye-opening, you know? And so, um, you know, being able to have that platform to just be honest and open and talk about these hurts and things, it's, it's a game changer, uh, in the community. And, and again, I'm just so thankful to have been a part of that, um, that experience. And, you know, I, I look forward to being able to do it again in the future, you know, and I just, I'm thankful for everyone who's supported us with prayers, with cards, whether it be money, Uh, We were able to give $80,000 to local nonprofits here in Tulsa. Um, The Coffee Bunker, which is a a nonprofit for vets, right? So a lot of vets have PSTD, and it's a safe place that they can go get help and healing. Um, Hope is Oxygen, which is basically a group that if people have lost their families, they stand in the gap to help support them along the way. Uh, And then, of course, the Oklahoma Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So uh, it was just an honor to be able to not only do that, but just be able to help other people with it all.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for your authenticity, vulnerability, transparency. I mean, this has been a real, a gift of time you've given our listeners. Um, Listeners, I will add links to those resources in the show notes. And in closing, Mike, our goal here is at change your filter is to get people to look at things differently. And you've given us so many pieces of, of wisdom and experience and just thoughtful things to, uh, To make our listeners do just that. So um, thank you everyone for listening. If you want to connect with Mike, I will include a link to his Facebook page um, in the show notes, reach out to him and sit front seat and watch as he influences his community and, and just lives a happy life. So Mike, thank you so much for your time.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you guys. I hope you guys all have an awesome day.
1: If you liked what you heard today, make your way to the Apple store podcast Store, whatever it's called and leave a review. Five stars, please.